From west to east and kingdom to kingdom, you're listening to the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. Connecting with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Limited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamslimitedtravel.com. Hey there, hi there, ho there, and welcome to episode 189 of the Diz Unplugged, Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and Diz historian, Michael Bowling, and I am joined by my co-host, executive producer, and good friend, Craig Williams. Craig, how are you today? Doing okay. How are you, Michael? Oh, I'm doing fine, thanks. So, are you still full of corned beef and cabbage from uh, last week, or no? I never, I never got around to having any. I, uh, I stuffed myself with, uh, with Guinness stew and extra Guinness, and yeah, I, I am feeling the, uh, the bloat of the Irish. I don't know if that's a thing, <laughs> but it's. I've got potatoes and beer and salt in me right now. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually, I still have a lot of the veggies left over because I do, uh, yeah, I throw in turnips and parsnips and celery and carrots and all kinds of stuff. I have a whole lot of that left over, but I'm out of corned beef and I'm thinking I might go to the store and get more corned beef and boil it up, mm. you know, and cause I, I love the veggie part of it. So. Yeah. I, I I love I love the food. It's simple, but delicious. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. So. Well, you know, in our ongoing series on the history of Walt Disney Animation, we've talked about the Alice comedies, Oswald the Lucky Rabbit, Mickey Mouse, the Silly Symphonies, and Donald Duck. And now we're going to begin our exploration of Walt Disney's first full-length animated feature, and first in the line of Disney princesses, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. So, Craig, when you think of a Disney princess, what comes to mind? Because there's the fairy tale princess, and then there's the Disney princess. So, is there a difference in your mind between the two? Hmm. I, you know what? I don't think there is any more in my opinion i i think more or less now i i kind of have the idea and maybe i'm crazy for this but when i think of princess it does go straight to disney princess more than fairy tale princess but it goes to like classic versus newer ones and so even though that doesn't even work because you know obviously uh, a princess like Rapunzel and and Elsa are based on on old stories as well too but just because the I guess it all goes back to Disney in the movies so just because they feel fresher I think of those as the new princesses versus the the older ones so I guess I I, I fell all in on Disney with this Mhm yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. For me, because I grew up a lot with the traditional fairy tales. Yeah, for me, there is a difference because the I don't know the original in in the like Grimm's and Hans Christian Andersen and all that. They really, they really go through some turmoil in those stories. 
Whereas there's the Disney version, and we're going to get into that in a bit, where I think the Disney princess is a different being. Yeah. Where definitely she's more of the heroine, I think, in the story, and, and definitely goes through a journey, but comes out on top in the end. That is not always the case with in Grimm's Brothers and the Anderson fairy tales. Yeah, I, I will say my parents did. They skipped over a, a lot of a lot of uh, fairy tales and stuff. We we stuck more to. Um, why can't I think of the? Is, is it Beatrix Potter books? Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. We we read a lot of stuff uh, along those lines when we were growing up. Uh, uh, my parents clearly tried to shelter my sister and I a lot more from the uh, scariness of of fairy tales and in terms of a literary form and, and kept us more towards the the Disney path. But yeah, I, I, I was one of those weird kids too, just since we're talking about it, I was one of those weird kids that I didn't know for the longest time that, that fairy tale characters could exist outside of their Disney realm. So I was that, that kid at, you know, five years old when Beauty and the Beast came out, but the TV show also was a thing. I was like, how can it be a TV show? It's Disney. It can't be. They they can't have multiple things. So, yeah, I, I really got the uh, Disney treatment really, really driven into my brain. Oh, I think most people today have never read the the original fairy tales. And if only uh, and- there was like a special story time. Where someone could read <laughs> yes. us these stories. I know, I know. I have to. I'm working on it, but it's sort of hard to do the show and then the script for that simultaneously, I, I along with everything else. Bit, I know. I knew that was going to come up, but I think I told the story before when I was getting my teaching credential. I was in a a class, and it was a seminar, so it meant you know it was just a handful of students around a table, and I think I was the only male in the class because I was in, I was going for my elementary, you know, credential and the, um, and it it was a class on analysis of children's literature uh, and of fairy tales and myths and things like that. And I was the only one that had read the original tales in the class. So, for instance, I was the only one that knew that in the original tale, the seven dwarfs had no names and and things like that. And I think so the teacher gravitated towards me for the rest of the semester, which really annoyed (laughs) my uh, classmates. But um, but it just turned out that's how my parents raised me was uh, with the original stories. You were the um, you were the kid that read the summer reading list, actually, even though everyone yes. else blew it off. <laughs> yes, uh, yeah, I joined the the library book club in the summer and read all the books, but but also the Disney films were less accessible uh, accessible when I was growing up. Very true, Very as true. well. Yeah, it's so, uh, another Disney Plus will claim another victim one day, and that's uh, that's actually reading books. <laughs> Maybe so, that say. would be sad. But the story of Snow White is best known from... Now, you know German, I think, better than I do, Craig. So, it's Sneewitchen? Sneewitchen? Is that how you'd say it? Uh, yeah, close enough. 
Okay. Uh, and that's a tale the Grimm brothers first published in German in 1812. There have been attempts to link the story to the unhappy lives of various German princesses and a, and a family that had this mirror that supposedly told the future and stuff like that. But variations of this same story exists in other countries. Now, there is no magnificent Snow White opera or ballet like Rossini's La Serentola for Cinderella or Tchaikovsky's Sleeping Beauty. And as, as I just mentioned, the dwarfs weren't given names until Winthrop Ames's 1912 Broadway show, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, which he billed as the first play written entirely for the enjoyment of children. Ames adapted his script for J. Cyril Dowley, uh, Dowley's 1916 silent fe um, feature, Snow White, starring Marguerite Clark, which Walt Disney saw as a boy in Kansas City. And some historians believe Walt chose Snow White because that 1916 silent version was the first film he ever saw. However, his daughter, Diane Disney Miller, quoted her father as saying, It was and still is the perfect plot. It has sympathy going for it all the way. Diane also said that her father got the idea to make an animated feature when he went to Paris in 1935 and saw a movie theater showing a program of six Disney shorts, and he decided audiences would accept an hour or more of animation. However, Walt had begun pre-production work on Snow White in 1934, the year before he went to Paris, and in an interview, Walt said, as far as I can say, the whole idea of making this feature crystallized in 1933. So in 1933, Walt Disney was pretty much a household name. Just five years before, Walt had produced the first animated sound cartoon, Steamboat Willie, launching Mickey Mouse into an international star. Walt had also introduced the Silly Symphony series, which had dramatically expanded the scope of animated cartoons. Walt had pioneered the use of Technicolor in animation and even launched a hit song, Who's Afraid of the Big Bad Wolf from The Three Little Pigs. So as a result, the studio had gained a reputation for innovation. In July 1933, Walt announced to the trade press that he was considering making an animated feature, and internal studio correspondence began to discuss the project. In the summer of 1934, Walt somewhat secretly set a few select storymen and top artists to work in a room next to his office. But it wasn't till a year later that a formal announcement was made to the popular press in 1943. Or, no, yeah. No, I'm sorry, in 1934. <laughs> I keep... I, I don't know why I've been doing that lately. I've been reversing my numbers in my head. So... <laughs> it all anyway. just blends together. I mean, it's it, almost 100 it, years now at this point. I know. Um... So, anyway, journalists who were enamored by the cartoon shorts Walt produced immediately began to speculate on this new venture and what it might look like. There was no precedent for what kind of film this would be, nor what Walt had in mind. 
After this announcement, Edwin Schellert of the Los Angeles Times wrote, Walt Disney will soon be embarking on his first feature picture, and won't that be a welcome event on the screen? He'll do a cartoon filmization of The Legend of Snow White, which he, it's interesting because he spelled it S-N-O-W-H-I-T-E, one word. Hmm. Anyway, he'll do a cartoon filmization of The Legend of Snow White, one of the most famous and popular fairy tales. The film will be made all in color with cartoon characters. It will not include the Big Bad Wolf, the Three Little Pigs, or even Mickey Mouse. I mean, it would make sense if it's all one word based on when you uh, said the the German title, the Schneewittchen. So since that's mm-hmm. all written out as one word. So I guess, I guess if Snow White wasn't, you know, if it wasn't necessarily... Uh, super in the brains of a lot of people, and they know it from the the German snorri of Schneewittchen. Then there's a there's a chance that's why that's why it was written out, or it's just a mistake that no one ever fixed, and now we're finding it all these years later. <laughs> no, I like your um, I, I like your theory, and and I think if you say Schneewittchen um, a few more times, I'll actually end up pronouncing it properly. <laughs> I'll, I'll record it for you after the show, so that way you can you can talk to Thank people you. after this is released and be like, "Oh, yes, I do know how to say Schneewittchen." Yeah, we'll have to do that for more words. I have to send them to you in advance and say, "Okay, you need to record these for me," <laughs> especially if they're in French. <laughs> uh, okay, okay, <laughs> okay. In 1933. Walt met with actress Mary Pickford on a feature film that would not be cast exclusively with animated characters. This was Alice in Wonderland that would have starred Mary Pickford as Alice with the Walt Disney Studio animating all the Wonderland characters. Sort of sounds familiar Uh, with like his Alice comedies. This project was abandoned, but shortly afterwards, the studio produced a dream sequence for the 1934 feature Servant's Entrance, in which animated characters interact with the star Janet Gaynor. Also in 1934, MGM's Hollywood Party included a sequence with Mickey Mouse, in which he engages in comic dialogue with Jimmy Durante before introducing an animated sequence by the Walt Disney Studio. So when Walt made this announcement about producing a feature film, audiences were already used to seeing Disney animation in feature films. Now we have a listener, Spencer, who is uh, uh, an expert, I think, on classic films. I think he's writing a book about them. He'll have to, um, Spencer, if you're listening, you'll have to include these films, you know, in, in your book so that with the Disney connection in there. Especially because one of them has Janet Gaynor. Yeah. So. <laughs> okay. Um, Walt's ideas for Snow White evolved over time. Prior to the start of production, he envisioned it as having a rather modest production schedule. In a 1934 letter to an exhibitor, he described the film as our first Silly Symphony feature and estimated it would be completed in about a year. In a December 1935 letter, he estimated the animation would be finished about this time next year. But as Walt intensified his focus and developed his ideas, his film continued to evolve. In 
It ultimately became a far larger and more elaborate project than Walt may have initially imagined. Walt didn't call his staff together and announce they were going to make a feature film. He introduced the idea by the method of slow infiltration. He dropped it on everyone individually in the midst of casual conversation. The reaction was enthusiastic. Walt's artists were as excited as he about the new possibilities of animation and about this fresh challenge. The story and characters of the Grimm Brothers' tales were so familiar worldwide that Walt and his team had to respect them. But to translate the story into a film would require not only retelling the tale in the new language of filmmaking, but also restage it into a make-believe environment with inventive characters with whom the Disney animators and the audience could relate. Again, there was no precedent for this. Walt entrusted the initial planning for Snow White's world to a few of his storymen. Many of them were former animators who had been recruited out of New York, but who were being phased out when Snow White began. Walt moved them from animation into the story department. This group included Dave Hand, Webb Smith, Harry Reeves, and Ted Sears. And before you think this was a demotion, consider Walt's memo to Ted Sears, in which he wrote, I honestly feel that the heart of our organization is the story department, and we must have good stories. And I think it also emphasizes how much Walt didn't see this as a demotion, was that when Walt was asked you know, years later, how did he want to be remembered? It was that he was a good storyteller. Yeah, I, I mean, doesn't it doesn't sound like a devotion to me personally, just from what I know. But that's my that's my take. No, I agree. I agree. You can be the best animator in the world, but if the story's terrible, um, exactly. it's not going to do well. Yeah. And I think I think over. I think Hollywood has shown us that's possible. Oh yeah, no, it's <laughs> a, great I mean, animation and terrible stories. It, it's everything. I mean, it's you <laughs> can take a you can take a movie and make it look as beautiful as you possibly want and showcase the world. But if the story doesn't exist, you're just you're just looking at looking at pretty things. It's you need the you need the story to take it to the next level. That's and that's where people want to retell it. Because mm-hmm. the story's so good, no one, no one wants to get out of a movie and then tell their entire friends what happened, and if it's a bad, bad story. I mean, sometimes because life is subjective, so sometimes people are going to think a a really terrible story is the greatest thing ever. But yeah, it's it all comes back to storytelling. It's very mm-hmm. important. And in their new positions as story men, they influence the first outlines for Snow White. Frank Thomas, who was a new animator at this time, later said these men represented the old school. And he said, Disney started with animators who were all entertainers, comic strip men, newspaper cartoonists, people like that. And the big thing to them was the gag. And that was big to Walt. And with the cartoons during the 20s, at the start of Snow White, everything was gags, gags, gags. 
And now Walt was seeing something new and more things that he could do with animation. And the layout men would give him new drawings. And everybody was coming up with new ideas. And so Walt was going, what have I got here? He was like an organist playing all the stops. By August 19, 1934, the first outline of the film was done. From then on, the story meetings were recorded by a staff stenographer and circulated to those involved with the film. In the beginning, it was felt that the Seven Dwarfs would carry the film because, as Walt said, they were naturals for the gag men. Unlike the original Grimm Brothers tale, the dwarfs were to be given seven distinct personalities and named for their personality traits. A list of over 40 possible names was drawn up. Some of the names on the list included Scrappy, Hoppy, Weepy, Snoopy, Gabby, Silly, Flabby, Daffy, Dizzy, Puffy, Biggy, Wiggy, Daffy, Hickey, Wheezy, Baldy, Nifty, Sniffy, Swift, Lazy, Stuffy, Tubby, Shorty, Burpy, Awful, and Jumpy. I don't know. I don't think, I think some of these names aren't quite as endearing. <laughs> they're, they're not, but I keep looking at it and say, what happens? What happens to the, our cultural landscape if for some reason they would have chosen Daffy and Snoopy as two of the names? Like, would, would Daffy, like, what would Daffy Duck have been? And would, like, would Daffy Duck even exist with if it wasn't part of the name? And same goes for Snoopy. Would would the Peanuts be so lovable if it wasn't for Snoopy and in the perfect name to go along with the dog too? So we we got lucky in the long run, but uh, it's it's weird to think that those were actually considered. There's some, yeah, there's some funny ones in here. Now the seven finalists were chosen through a process of elimination. Their leader, required to be pompous, self-important, and bumbling, was named Doc. Others were named for their distinguishing character traits. At the end of the October story meetings, however, only Doc, Grumpy, Bashful, Sleepy, and Happy of the final seven were named. At this point, Sneezy and Dopey were replaced by Jumpy and an unnamed seventh dwarf. By October 22nd, a new tentative cast of characters was developed, and many in the cast were given recognizable equivalents from the motion pictures or radio. And the list read Snow White, Janet Gaynor type, 14 years old. So there it is. Janet Gaynor stills on Walt's mind there. Yeah. She must, she must have been one of his fa- favorite actresses or something. So the prince. Douglas Fairbanks type, 18 years old. The Queen, a mixture of Lady Macbeth and the Big Bad Wolf. Her beauty is sinister, mature, plenty of curves. She becomes ugly when menacing, when scheming and mixing her poisons. Magic fluids transform her into an old witch-like hag. Her dialogue and action are over-melodramatic, verging on the ridiculous. The Huntsman, a minor character, big and tough, 40 years old, the Queen's trusted henchman, but hasn't the heart to murder the girl. The Seven Dwarfs, happy, a glad boy, sentimental, 
addicted to happy proverbs. His jaw slips out of its socket when he talks, thus producing a goofy speech mannerism. Sleepy, Sterling Holloway. Always going to sleep, always swatting a fly on the end of his nose. Doc, the leader and spokesman of the dwarfs, feels his superiority, but is more or less a windbag. Bashful has a high-peaked skull which makes him ashamed to take off his hat, blushing, hesitating, squirmy, giggly. Jumpy, Joe Twerp. I had to look up Joe Twerp, and it, he was like a, a sort of a what they would have called a bit actor. Gotcha. Back in a day, he was only in a handful of movies. I've never um, heard of him. Yeah, neither had I, actually. Um, like a chap in constant fear of being goosed, Nervous, excited, his words and sentences mixed up. Grumpy, typical dyspeptic and grouch, pessimist, woman hater, the last to make friends with Snow White. Seventh, uh, this is the unnamed dwarf. (laughs) Death, always listening intently, happy, quick movements, spry. The prince's horse. This gallant white charger understands but cannot talk. Like Tom Mix's horse, Tony, the prince's pal. And to me, this sounds more like the horse in Sleeping Beauty. Yeah. Rather, yeah. Than, rather than the one in Snow White. Magic Mirror, the queen's unwilling slave. His mask-like face appears when invoked. It speaks like a weird voice. So they were really coming together with the characters by this time. Yeah, they they clearly had uh, a, a solid outline with with everything that ends up being very, very, very close to to what we actually see in the final movie. So uh, a, a, a very, very solid outline and understanding of of all of the the cast of characters. Which mm-hmm. very, very interesting to to know that as the background to the entire movie. Now the same outline also had a synopsis of the story divided into acts, and beginning with what would become a tradition for Walt Disney's animated features, the storybook opening. And it read We see a book bearing on its cover the title and author, The Brothers Grimm. It opens to the credit page. Then, as its beautifully illuminated pages turn, we read the prologue, which plants the queen as a vain and murderous witch, Snow White as a mistreated victim of the queen's jealousy and greed for power, the magic mirror and the reason for the prince's visit to the palace. In short, the storybook opening is a footage-saving device that carries us well into the plot and interesting action and also establishes the situation and characters in advance. Rather than spend too much of our energy at the present time in working out the first and less important sequences, Walt prefers to start actual work at the point where Snow White finds the cottage of the Seven Dwarfs. Then in all caps it says, From this point on, then end the caps, our basic plot development is fairly definitely established. What happens, in all caps, up to that time, end caps, is still rather hazy. Then on Tuesday, October 30th, one of the most important events in the history of the film, and arguably the studio, took place. 
Walt went beyond his small circle of writers and introduced the feature project to the studio at large. Assembling the staff on the soundstage at 7.30 p.m., Walt held court for three hours, telling his artists the story of Snow White. As historic as this event was, there exists no direct record of Walt's performance. The meeting is remembered by a short page of notes documenting the story suggestions offered by some of the attendees, but Walt's telling of the story survived only in the memories of the audience. In the accounts of the eyewitnesses, Walt's performance has grown to legendary proportions. Ken Anderson, who had just been hired the previous month, stated in numerous interviews, We were spellbound. He would become the queen. He would become the dwarfs. He was an incredible actor, a born mime. It's a shame that they didn't have the wherewithal to film this performance. Yeah, yeah. Oh, be so cool today. Mm-hmm. It was the first of many times, though, that Walt would perform the story for audiences large and small. Said Joe Grant in an interview, I think I probably heard the entire story of Snow White three or four dozen times. His idea was to go from room to room, tell sequences, and then whatever we would add would be put into his next routine discussion. Walt also gave more large-scale performances of the story. Ollie Johnston, who was hired in 1935, remembered seeing a recital similar to the one described by Ken Anderson. It all became clearer on November 6th when a new synopsis outlined and plotted the story, much as it would be committed to film. After three months of editing the story, it was very much changed from the original Grimm Brothers tale. The sequences of Snow White's birth, her mother's death, and the evil queen's dance of death were removed. The first attempt on Snow White's life by suffocation with a bodice laces was also deleted. The queen no longer disguised herself as an apple peddler, but manages a transformation into a hag in her laboratory. Snow White is no longer awakened by the dislodging of the poisoned apple from her throat, but rather by the more romantic kiss, which was borrowed from another Grimm's Brothers tale, The Sleeping Beauty. The prince also had an expanded role, as did the dwarfs and forest animals. Songs were now added and placed at appropriate intervals. The outline told the whole story in 18 paragraphs, with each being an act or sequence, as it was called at the studio, which described in cinematic format episodes of romance, adventure, and drama, relieved by sequences of comedy. According to the synopsis, work was to begin on the broadly caricatured dwarfs and personable animals, who were cartoon types that the Disney animators had perfected in their cartoon short subjects. And it stated, For the time being, we will concentrate entirely upon scenes in which only Snow White, the dwarfs, and their bird and animal friends appear. Please sketch up your ideas ready to submit by Tuesday, November 13th, 1934. Running gags, character building gags, action and dialogue gags for quick laughs. 
the untried human characters, the lovely Snow White, the handsome prince, and the beautiful queen, would prove much more difficult to render believably. As a test for his animator's ability to draw the princess, Walt had prepared a new silly symphony based on a Greek myth, the Goddess of Spring, which was about the delicate goddess Persephone and her abduction to the underworld. This short, released on November 3, 1934, proved to Walt that his current group of animators were not up to the task of creating the character of Snow White. More training and innovation would be required. Walt Disney summed up the status of the project at the end of the year in a memo. 1934 found us with a pretty complete adaptation of the story and thousands of sketches, gags, backgrounds, character models, and so on had been worked out. Because we had no precedent for this undertaking, we had to discard much of the preliminary material, material which had meant hours of hard work. It's kind of like... It's dizzying to think that, like, at 1934, it's saying, okay, you're not up to the task of creating this character, so we do need, we need to train more and, and innovate more. And obviously, it didn't take very long for this to actually happen. Whereas, like, it, it just makes me laugh when you think of something like Star Wars, where George Lucas does the first three and says, nope, I, I can't do, I can't do the next part of my story until the technology gets to where i want it and that took what 15 16 years to get there <laughs> and walt did it in in much 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 less time so it's uh it's that's it's a wild to think that yeah they moved fast in those days yeah. it's, <laughs> i mean for very good reasons too it's yeah. gotta gotta make those movies yeah and it's important to remember that besides tackling their first feature-length animated feature, the studio was continuing production of its bread-and-butter product, the Mickey Mouse and Silly Symphony shorts, at the same time. The shorts flourished and became more elaborate and brilliant, even as work went ahead on Snow White. Most of what had been worked out in story research and character development for Snow White would appear on the screen, but not for three years. From December 1934 till the film's premiere on December 21st, 1937, Walt and his team would labor on storyboarding, scripting, orchestrating, visualizing, and animating the story. Also time-consuming was the film's realignment to Walt's constantly maturing thinking, along with his insistence that his staff improve their skills to meet his ever-rising expectations. By the end of 1934 and into the first half of 1935, work slowed dramatically on Snow White. Walt was still committed to his feature film, but preparation for the story came to a standstill whilst he reconsidered his production method. By the 1930s, a standard system had evolved at the studio. Each cartoon short was supervised by a director, who was in turn supervised by Walt. By 1935, Wilfred Jackson, Dave Hand, and Ben Sharpstein had established themselves as the top Disney directors. Each of them brought a personal and unique touch to the films they directed. For Snow White, 
it was assumed that Walt would personally direct the film. Early in 1934, Walt personally directed a silly symphony, The Golden Touch, which is a retelling of the King Midas story. It was generally understood that this was a trial run for Walt's direction of Snow White. The Golden Touch proceeded slowly through production for nine months, from June 1934 to February 1935. By that time, it became painfully clear that the short directed by Walt and animated by two of the studio's best artists, Fred Moore and Norm Ferguson, was not a very good film. Although critics and fans are less harsh on the short today, in 1935 it was considered a failure and an embarrassment. I mean, to the point where Walt never wanted this film brought up again wow. in his presence. So, That's and we've reviewed this film. Was it for Turner Classic Movies from the Disney Vault? I want to say it was. Yeah, yeah. It's always safe and, to assume that, but I mean, that's a. Uh, I feel like that a little bit harsh uh, with never wanting it brought up again. That's uh, that's a little bit further than he really needed to go with it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and this combined with the difficulty animators were still having with convincing human animation caused Walt to pause and rethink his approach to the much more consequential production of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. There was another interruption in 1935. Roy, and the studio's business manager, Walt, and their wives, Lillian and Edna, went on a vacation trip to Europe. This meant that for three months, Walt was absent from the studio. Although he made preparations in advance to keep productions of the cartoon shorts going in his absence, production of Snow White was entirely new and would have to wait until Walt's return. And that is where we will pick up our story in our next installment on the making of Walt Disney's Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Now Craig's going to take a look in his magic mirror for advice on this week in Disney history. All right. Well, for this week in Disney history, we have Mary Jo back on the show after being with us for the Mouse Adventure um, episode last week that I hope you all enjoyed. Mary Jo's joining us for trivia this week. So, Mary Jo, welcome back. To connecting with Walt. So, and we asked her back because, you know, poor Craig, for the longest time, he's, it's only been him having to answer all the questions. So we're bringing back the contest where it's Mary Jo up against Craig. So the, the, the battle of the, of the knowledge here. I feel very so, competitive right now. Oh, <laughs> good. Go, go ahead. Yes. Well, that's not because, saying I'll do well. I just I'm just saying how I feel. Well, after talking about Mouse Adventure last week, and now we're getting revved up for the yeah. Mouse Adventure in a Box in April. So, okay, all right. Reminder of the rules. Okay, you get three points for the question if you choose to not hear the multiple choice options. You get three points for that answer. If you choose to hear the multiple choice options you will receive two points for the correct answer if um you ask me to remove an incorrect option you will receive one point for the correct answer 
If you correctly answer the question after your opponent answers the question incorrectly, you will receive one point. And remind me if I mess this up. It's been a while. Um, some questions may have opportunities to earn bonus points. You can earn one point for each bonus question correctly answered. In the event of a tie, there will be a tiebreaker question. You may find having pencil and paper nearby helpful for the tiebreaker question. So any questions before we start? Okay. All right. Now, Mary Jo, since you are our guest, you have the option. Do you want the first question or do you want to pass it on to Craig? I think I'll take the first question, Michael. Okay. All right. This is for March 28th. Original Mouseketeer host and 1992 Disney legend Jimmy Dodd, the adult leader on television's Mickey Mouse Club, was born in Cincinnati, Ohio on March 28, 1910, a talented guitarist and musician. For what job did Walt Disney originally hire Jimmy Dodd? Was it, well, first of all, do you know? No, I don't. Okay. All right. So do you want to hear the multiple choice questions? Yes, please. Okay. A, was he an in-betweener for the Silly Symphonies cartoon series? Or B, a music writer. C, the singing voice of Fess Parker for the Davy Crockett television series. Or D, the voice of Pecos Bill in Walt Disney's animated film, Melody Time. Ooh. Okay, so... I know that he sings all the, a lot on the, on the Mouseketeers and he has his the little guitar and everything. So I'm kind of kind of going towards that, but whether he was a music writer or actually a singer, you know what? I'm, I think I'm going to go with the last one with Peckles, the voice of Peckles Bill. Okay. Don't ask me if that's my final. <laughs> <laughs> I won't, but that is incorrect. Dang it. Okay. So now it goes over to Craig. So, okay, Craig, for one point, was Jimmy Dodd hired as an in-betweener for the Silly Symphonies, a music writer, or the singing voice of Fess Parker for the Davy Crockett television series? I don't... I guess I'm going to go with Mary Jo's other guess, because I don't hear him as Fess Parker. So I'm going to say music writer. So for B... Yeah, that is correct. Jimmy Dodd was originally hired by Walt Disney as a music writer. He went on to write and compose the Mickey Mouse Club March and all the daily opening songs for the show. Wow. Thanks for Very the help, good. MJ. <laughs> <laughs> Craig is sitting back in his seat now. <laughs> okay, March 29th. And Craig, this is for you. In New York City, 1,300 high school students representing more than 15 different countries converge in Central Park to take part in a spectacular stunt on March 29, 1998, to celebrate what event? Hmm. I will take multiple choice. Okay, is it A, the premiere of the animated feature Mulan? B, the opening of Disneyland's New Tomorrowland. 
C, the opening of Disney's Animal Kingdom. Or D, a celebration of Disney's theme parks to commemorate the fifth anniversary of Disneyland Paris and the 15th anniversary of Tokyo Disneyland. Well, I was actually thinking something along the lines of Mulan. So I'm going to say whatever answer that one was. A, the premiere of the animated feature Mulan. Yeah. Excellent guest because it did debut that year, but incorrect. So, Mary Jo, over to you. What did these? What were these high school students celebrating? Was it B, the opening of Disneyland's new Tomorrowland? C, the opening of Disney's Animal Kingdom? Or D, a celebration of Disney theme parks? You know, Animal Kingdom was such a big thing. So it's between. Uh... I'm going to go with the Disney's theme parks. Okay. Celebration of Disney. Yes. Yes. That is incorrect. Dang it. (laughs) It's actually C, the opening of Disney's Animal Kingdom. The upcoming opening of Disney's Animal Kingdom using, and they used human animation. These young performers bring a lion, dinosaur, and fire-breathing dragon to life each spanning approximately half a football field in length at Sheep Meadow inside Central Park. Taking months to choreograph, the stunt airs on Good Morning America and the Walt Disney World Easter Parade. Remember that? Disney's Animal Kingdom will open April 22nd. Okay. All right, Mary Jo, March 30th is for you. Fest Parker. Known for his Disney role of Davy Crockett and later Daniel Boone, appeared in Washington, D.C. on March 30th, 2004 to make a donation to the Smithsonian National Museum. What did the King of the Wild Frontier donate? His coonskin cap. Is that your final answer? Yes. You are correct. Yes. Very good. Three points. It is his coonskin cap. Okay. But there is a bonus question for this. He actually donated two items. Mm. Can you guess what the other item is? Gosh, when I picture him, it's the coonskin cap and the rifle and his, that jacket that he used to wear all the time. So I'm trying to... um, you want me to run through these for an extra point? What the sure. Okay. Is sure. it A, his gun, old Bessie? C, his buckskin ensemble? Or D, his Bowie knife and sheet music for the Ballad of Davy Crockett, autographed by Walt Disney as a gift to the actor? I hope he didn't give away such a treasure as the, the autographed music by Walt Disney. Um Gosh, you make it so tough on me. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go with the rifle just because that was the first thing I thought of. Okay, that is incorrect. All right. Old Bessie. Okay, Craig, for a bonus point, did he donate his buckskin ensemble or his Bowie knife and sheet music? Uh, I'll say the buckskin. That is correct. Very good. Okay. 
All right, Craig, back to you for March 31st. What was added to Disneyland on March 31st, 1958? Uh, Multiple choice, please. Okay, is it A, the Grand Canyon diorama to the Santa Fe and Disneyland Railway? B, the Alice in Wonderland attraction in Fantasyland? C, the Viewliner, a train that runs between Fantasyland and Tomorrowland? Or D, the Conestoga wagons in Frontierland? Hmm. I... Not uh, nothing is jumping out to me. So whatever I go with, it's just going to be a guess. Hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna guess A. The Grand Canyon diorama to the Santa Fe and Disneyland Railway. Yeah, it was added to the Disneyland Railway between the Tomorrowland and Main Street stations. The painting has been done on a special seamless canvas, which required 4,800 man-hours to complete, using 300 gallons of paint in 14 colors. The diorama, which includes taxidermic animals, the only ones in the park, in lifelike poses, is the longest in the world. Very good. I'm always impressed by Craig's answers. Mm-hmm. Oh, that, that was a complete so, guess. So, <laughs> I was your, just, your instincts are always so darn good. <laughs> uh, I, I was assuming that Michael's a teacher, and sometimes I feel like teachers has they always gravitate towards A. So, that was... I'm I'm very aware of what which ones I'm choosing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all righty. So, um, so Craig, you have four. Mary Jo, you have three. So you're you're in this. So, um, okay, Mary Jo, it's to you. April first, April Fool's Day. Starting on April first, two thousand and seven, at Walt Disney World, which rarely seen characters appear daily in the tour guide garden at the Magic Kingdom. They will help celebrate the Easter holiday season for the next eight days. Um, can you give me multiple choice, please? Sure. A, the White Rabbit and March Hare from Alice in Wonderland. B, Thumper and Flower from Bambi. C, Br'er Rabbit, Br'er Bear, and Br'er Fox from Song of the South and Splash Mountain. Or D, Mr. and Mrs. Easter Bunny. Okay, so we have the White Rabbit, who I've seen at Disneyland, so I don't think he's that rare. Thumper and Flower, I have never seen Flower. Um, I'll ask Craig later if he ever shows up. But I think I'm going to go with Rare Rabbit and Rare Bear. Okay. That is incorrect. <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> so, Craig, <laughs> over to you for one point. Who celebrated the <laughs> holiday season at Easter? Was it the White Rabbit and March Hare? Was it Thumper and Flower? Or was it Mr. and Mrs. Easter Bunny? I mean, it might be a trick because it seems too straightforward, but I feel like it would be the the Easter bunnies. And you are correct. It was the Easter bunnies. Told you you have excellent instincts. (laughs) (laughs) Has Flower ever appeared at the parks? I've never seen Flower. Well, that's why he's rare. It used to be at Disneyland in the early years. Flower was, was a character. In parades, anyway. Okay. He's so cute. He is. 
All right, Craig, this is for you. April 2nd. A tombstone at the Magic Kingdom's haunted mansion in Liberty Square with the epitaph. He died in the fall. It's a fact notwithstanding. But the judges admired his form on the landing. Is a tribute to which Imagineer who passed away on April 2nd, 2011, just a few days after this tombstone was added? I'll take multiple choice, please. Hey, was it A, Colin Campbell? He worked on the concept and design of the mansion. B, Ken Anderson. The wedding toast scene in the ballroom was his idea. C, Dave Burkhart. He not only worked on the Haunted Mansion, but also 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea attraction and the Swiss Family Robinson Treehouse in the Magic Kingdom. Or D, Gordon Williams. He designed the haunting sound effects in the mansion. What was the on the tombstone one more time? Sorry. He died in the fall. It's a fact notwithstanding, but the judges admired his form on the landing. Hmm. Yes. Um, I was hoping that hearing it again after the names, one of them might rhyme and jump out with it, but um, going to go with D, if that was Gordon. Dave, Dave Burkhart. Burkhart? Which one was Gordon? That, oh, D. I'm sorry, D. Gordon Williams. He yeah. designed the haunting sound effects in the mansion. Yeah, I'll go with that. That is incorrect. Mary Jo, who, who, um, who had that great form on his final landing? Was it Colin Campbell, Ken Anderson, or Dave Burkhart? I'm going to go with Dave Burkhart. Okay. That is incorrect. <laughs> it's actually Colin Campbell. And this is a, it's a huge monument. Um, so anyway, and he started out at Walt Disney's animation department. He worked on such features as Lady and the Tramp, 101 Dalmatians, but it was Campbell's distinctive paintings as an Imagineer of the Jungle Cruise, Pirates of the Caribbean, and the Haunted Mansion that played an important role in the attraction's conceptualization and design. He is credited with the lush landscape painting inside the lid of the famous harpsichord, which sits in Club 33 in Disneyland. He was also instrumental in the design of Walt Disney World's Epcot Center, working on popular attractions such as the Horizons Pavilion. Okay. Uh, yeah. I know the tombstone you're talking about now. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay, Mary Jo, the final one for this week, April third, and it, oh, it's um, Craig has five. Mary Jo, you have three. You could, you could win it with this or tie. April third, which Disneyland attraction closed on April third, nineteen ninety six, to make way for a park expansion? April 3rd, 1996, to make way for a park expansion. Would it have been the railroad? You're closed forever or just closed temporarily? Sorry, I didn't. That's know. not in the question. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, this isn't Mouse Adventure where you can ask. <laughs> just, yeah, can, I get, <laughs> can I get a hint in that? <laughs> um. 
I'm trying. Oh. Actually, I'm going to go with It's a Small World. Okay. That is incorrect, but that's, you will find out that's an interesting choice. Craig, for one point, what Disneyland attraction closed on April 3rd, 1966 to make way for a park expansion? Actually, you know, I, I haven't given, that one is incorrect, but I've not given the, it's not on the list. So, Craig, do you know offhand? No. You could guess three points. Okay, then you want to hear uh, uh, for one point, then I'll read these off, I guess. The monorail, which would be a temporary closure. The P B, Pack Mules. C, the Stagecoach and Conestoga Wagon. Or D, Midget Utopia. In 1996? I, I'm, did I say 1996 or 1966? It's 1996. It's 1966. So, Mary Jo, back to you for two <laughs> points. I'm sorry. Unless you know what it is. And I have it written correctly. Now, go go ahead and read them again, please. Sure. The monorail, which was a temporary closure. The pack mules, the stagecoach and Conestoga wagon, or Midget Utopia. Mm, I'm not going to. I'm not going to go with the. Con I'm gonna. I'm gonna go with the Midget Utopia because I don't remember that one so much in 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 going in those years. So that is. That is correct. Okay. It was eventually to make way for a wide new path up to It's a Small World. First making its debut in 1957, it is the third and smallest Utopia track. Walt Disney will donate the Midget Utopia to his boyhood home of Marceline, Missouri, where it will be installed in a park named in his honor. So now, Mary Jo, would you have known that without the list? It would have been one of my guesses because i do know that that didn't last that long but no, I, I would have needed the list because i thought it had closed earlier than 1960 1966 okay well you know what this means is this is a tie and so i need to and you know we have we have not had a tie so, which means now I need to pull. So, the one time we have a tie, do you think I have the um, my tie questions pulled up? No, of course not. We can always so just agree on it being a tie. We can no, do a no, friend, no. friendly handshake. No, it is a tie. I, I pause. I'm bringing up the tiebreaker question because I've always wanted to do a tiebreaker question. See, now you're making my hand sweat. I was all happy about tying with Craig. <laughs> all right. Here we go. For the first time, we have a tiebreaker question. You are going to need pen and paper. Do you all have one? Yes. Craig, do you have one? Um, yeah. I'll make okay. it work. Put these Disney films from the 1970s in the correct order of the year they were released. Okay. First one, The Bears and I. The Million Dollar Duck. Hot Lead and Cold Feet. And the original Pete's Dragon. Okay, now what we'll do is I'll have each of you tell me your list, and then we will, and then I'll tell you who's right. 
Okay. Who wants to go first? I'll go. Okay. Okay. Start with number the earliest to the latest. Okay. So my starting from the earliest, it's going to be for me million dollar deck, mm-hmm. hot leg, cold feet, bears and I, and then peach dragon. Okay. No, that is not correct. Okay, Craig. How about you? Okay, I have hot lead and cold feet. Then the bears and I. Then Pete's dragon. Then million dollar duck. No, actually, Mary Jo is closer. So it's it was the million dollar duck, nineteen seventy one. Then the bears and I, nineteen seventy four. Hot lead and cold feet, nineteen seventy eight. And then Pete's Dragon, nineteen. Oh, I'm sorry. It was it, it was Pete's Dragon, nineteen seventy seven is number three. And then Hot Lead and Cold Feet, number four, nineteen seventy eight. Okay. So I I think Mary Jo, you were you just had one off, and Craig, you were what two off? I think. No, I had two off. I had no. I think I you had, just had two reverse. I was all shifted. I had hot lead and cold feet first, and then I think I had the order right after. I I'm gonna be on. I'll let. We'll just let Mary Jo win. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Did he win? <laughs> okay. I, I, I well, you know what? Then I, Mary I think Jo. Craig got it to tell you the truth. Yeah. Now, Mary Jo. Then you know you have to come back next week, and then okay. we have to break the tie. We'll duke it out. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for joining us this week, Mary Jo. And thank we you. will see welcome. And we will see you next week. Okay, well, you know that that history segment didn't quite go as I thought it was gonna go. But it was it's a lot of fun. It, especially to have Mary Jo back. Yeah. It it was <laughs> it was a lot of fun. And I mean it was uh it, 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 there was a lot that went on. First we <laughs> when we were recording it, we, we got the weeks wrong. And then, because obviously Mary Jo was on last week on the show, not this week. And... Oh, you are taking us backstage, aren't oh, yeah. you? <laughs> oh, yeah. But you know what? It's 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 been so long since we've even done it that way that you know we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna mess things up every now and then. But it's all it's all good fun. And now we get to stretch out how much we actually get to hear Mary Jo, which that's yeah, that that's is nice. the ultimate benefit. I know. I um when I realize if we're now that we're now that we've taken you backstage, let's yeah. let's sit down for a moment and um and I'll tell you a story. It was funny because I had to prepare three weeks worth of this quiz competition in one sitting. And I um so it wasn't an, I don't know what happened with the calendar, but when I when we started to record the history segments, I realized, oh my goodness, I skipped a week <laughs> in my planning. So we had to so we we recorded of course those 3 weeks worth of history segments and then I um then Craig and I had to come back. I had to then write the history segment for last week. And then Craig and I had to record that Mm -hmm. on a completely different night. And then Craig had to put it all together. (laughs) We like to keep things fun here. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so there, that there's a, 
t- telling you a little behind the, you know the scenes there yeah what goes on here it's uh we it's always hard for us to admit when we're not perfect but we we find a way we find a way to tell you with these behind the scenes <laughs> moments so uh, enjoy enjoy the glimpse of us at our our lowest points ever clearly <laughs> Anyway, all righty. Well, what what's exciting here for us is that our cinemas opened um, last week. But and I think you and I talked last week. Um, it was before or after the show. What surprised me is is that Raya and the Last Dragon isn't in our. It isn't being isn't in any theater. And here in the Sacramento area, we have a drive-in theater, and. And it's not even showing Raya and the Last Dragon. And so it looks like the first big uh, epic film that's going in in the cinemas is going to be Godzilla versus King Kong. Mm-hmm. So if you had your druthers, Craig, would you see, and, and let's say you're not vaccinated, let's say that, uh, well, you're not, but let's say that, uh, if you were, let's say, would you rather see Godzilla versus Kong or Ryan the Last Dragon for that matter either in a cinema a drive-in theater or in or on HBO Max or Disney Plus premiere so that's a tough tough question i think you know uh, okay i've been waiting years for Godzilla versus Kong so my ultimate way to see it is in a theater and, uh, you know, preferably with, uh, with like Dolby or in IMAX, the, the highest form. However, I also saying that I also don't want to discount the, the nostalgia of seeing a movie at a drive-in and especially a big, blockbuster like that i because i i think i've mentioned it on the show before but i grew up going to the drive-in a lot throughout the summer we had uh we had a drive-in that was about 15 minutes from our house give or take and it had at its height it had i think seven screens but uh for a lot of the time when we were growing up it was it was uh it was three three screens and then slowly to five to seven. So we saw a lot of movies and like, I remember that's where we saw the last world Jurassic park. And there's the, the scene in that movie where they're running through the fields with the Raptors coming after them. And so we're sitting in our car and <laughs> the dark, dark drive in watching this. And you know, I it's still, it, youngish i wasn't super young but i'm like if there's freaking dinosaurs outside of our cars right now i'm going to lose it so i that was that's just one example of the the memories i have from seeing kind of like big monster movies at the drive-in and knowing that that also adds a level to it but uh so yeah i would i for me the first movie i will see in a theater, as long as it's still there, is Godzilla versus Kong, and mm-hmm. I, I, I am excited for Raya. I'm hoping it's still in theaters. I have I have no doubts that it will be. Just to give you a glimpse behind what's happening here in Orlando, where it's not available for you in your area, here at the AMC at Disney Springs, which is the theater I go to, uh, they are showing it on a different screen every thirty minutes. 
And I'm oh not I'm not even joking. It's three thirty four, four thirty five, five fifteen, five thirty, six thirty, seven, seven thirty, eight, eight thirty. Uh it's it's on all the time. So I'll probably be able to see Raya in theaters, but it's not it's not going to be my first one. It's it's I'm saving that for for Godzilla versus Kong because it's just yeah. it's going to be so epic. I might watch it on HBO first if I can't contain myself, <laughs> but I'm going to try. I still have to watch the first two films you told me I should watch before Godzilla versus Kong, and then um, see that. But I, I'm I'm really tempted to go to the drive-in just to see it on a big screen. So. Um, and I would go to the drive-in to see Raya if it were there. I, I, I'm surprised it's not. Because the Croods has been playing, I don't know, since like November or something at the drive-in. The, whatever the Crude oh, movie yeah. is, the more recent one. Yeah. That is just hanging on forever. Yeah, and, Tom and, Jerry's I... in, and Tom and Jerry's in the drive-in. So. Uh, you don't want to watch that, though. It was not good. <laughs> Yeah. But I thought, okay, they have animated films. Why not throw in? The Crude seems to have, it's had its run, I would think. So throw in Raya. So I don't know what's going on with that. Anyway. Yeah. But it Falcon, might be a weird thing with California and where they're allowed. Like if there, there might be some weird deal with Disney. Who knows? I, I'm probably completely wrong with it, but I, I am hoping that it will be available for you at some point here soon. I hope so. So, yeah, and Falcon and the Winter Snowman, we've been talking about that. And, and I guess Disney announced it's the most watched series premiere on Disney+. Plus. I, I'm sorry, I have to, you, just, you just said Falcon and the Winter Snowman. Snowman. Oh, gosh. I wrote, you know, I've been saying that. And I wrote it. I even wrote it that way, didn't I? Oh, man. I didn't, I didn't notice it if oh, you had it gosh. in the script. But, I said oh. that. I was talking about it to somebody else, and I didn't have a script, and I called it that, too. Oh, that's, that's perfect. <laughs> that would it. be like, okay, if somebody does a spoof of it, it has to be Falcon and Winter Snowman. I, I'm excited for that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Anyway. Well, that 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 that'll be their Christmas special. Yeah, that's yeah. their Christmas episode. Falcon in the Winter Snowman. <laughs> he just did all the hard work for them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that should be when he climbs out of that ravine that he fell into in um the first the first uh, Avenger, his <laughs> first Avenger. Yeah. Uh, anyway, but um, anyway, so so I assume you watched it. I did. Yes, I I was it- one of the people on day one that made it the largest premiere that. It has anything has had on Disney Plus. Mm-hmm. I watched it that evening, and um, so did it meet exceed your expectations? Because you didn't, ha- you weren't really that excited about this yeah. one. I had low expectations, and I would say it met my expectations. I think right before I started watching it, I saw a little too many uh, snapshots of reviews from people on on social media saying like I can't after WandaVision I can't believe they're able to do it again and make something so captivating so I think my expectations grew slightly right before we hit play on it and yeah I didn't I was not blown away by it it's it's clear that it's also going to be a a slow burn in terms of how it plays out 
which mm-hmm. I'm totally fine with. I just don't, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's to me, it's just the style of the show that I'm not, I'm not currently invested in this style. I don't, I feel like it has a, a very procedural style to it right now that I'm just, I don't watch those shows on an, on an average day. So I'm not sure if I'll enjoy Marvel's take on it, but I'm, of course, I'm going to watch it every single week on Friday. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I like, I like, I like stories that slowly evolve and this one is slowly evolving. So, um, I enjoyed it. So I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes. Yeah, I'm looking I, forward to seeing how they meet up. Yeah, <laughs> and that's that's part of it too. I I like I like a lot of aspects from it. I like the acting with it, but I think it's necessarily right now for me. It's that I don't necessarily enjoy the more of like the aftermath of okay, well they save the world and what happens next with it. I don't like. I, I'm not I'm not gelling with the the kind of politics of superheroes and uh, the pay grades of them it's it's interesting concepts in theory that like oh yeah how do superheroes get paid uh they just don't all live off free money but i'm not going to go too in depth in case people haven't watched it but that's that's a taste of some of what they discuss Mm -hmm. in the episode and so for me it's not it's not the most captivating but i know it's i know it's going to pay off eventually yeah. and and there's a character again yeah i don't want to give too much away there's a character introduced at the very end and the first thing that popped into my mind was did he forget to put his false teeth in <laughs> <laughs> he has the weirdest i don't know the way he sets his jaw is just weird so um it bothers me i think it's creepy looking so so i already don't like that character just for that reason I well do. i don't like him for a couple of reasons but I like the actor, though. But, oh, yeah, I'm sure the actor is fine, but anyway, so I just don't like how he sets his jaw. Yeah, if we're talking about the exact same actor, which we'll talk about af- after, it's he is part of the Disney family in a way. Not the Disney mm-hmm. family. He's, he's, he, he's still in the Disney realm, so I mm-hmm. like that, too. But yeah. Anyway, well, he, he needs to have a different expression. <laughs> so, anyway, and then um, since we're cut, we're heading into April. Um, Disney Plus. I looked up what's coming in April. And what I'm excited to see, and I think there's something. Uh, there's a series that I think you're excited in. I will get to that. But the Night at the Museum series. I think the first two films. Was there a third? There. I think there was. Yes. I there. never saw the third. The first one was in. The first one was New York. The second one was Smithsonian. Smithsonian. And the third, they went overseas to to one of the history museums in England. Yeah, I never saw that one. But the first two are on, coming t- in April. And I like those. I have a, a relative by marriage who has a prominent role in that. So I'll watch it for that reason, yeah. too. So um, anyway, and then... Um, and then, you know, we were talking last time about where are all the classics? T- at least there's a couple coming. The Island at the Top of the World and Third Man on the Mountain, finally. Yes. I've, I mean, I've talked about this how many times <laughs> for the years? And I finally, I finally am getting it on Disney Plus. And hopefully yeah. it looks just as good as it does. It did. Not that it does, but it, hopefully it looks just as good as it did 
all the way back in 2015 when it was in the first round of movies on Treasures from the Disney Vault on TCM. And then or that was that might have been 2014. That was 2014. It was actually. a while back. Yeah, that was 2014. Yeah. So it's I haven't seen it in in its HD not remastered but just looking as good as it can for how old it is i haven't seen it since december of 2014 so i am oh i am so so excited yeah i'm excited to see these and um yeah to everybody watch these so maybe they'll release more um more classics then there's some i'm going to come back to squanto a warrior's tale i haven't seen it since it was first released but i remember liking it yeah just uh, i I have memories of it as a kid, but not not strong ones. I I know I watched it quite a bit though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then Rio, that's an animated film I've never seen. I know the song yeah, for some I have, reason. I have not watched it either. Yeah. And then a classic musical, Oklahoma. That the last time I saw it, it was actually on stage. Carol and I saw it here in Sacramento. It's part of the music circus series that usually happens in the summer the the winds come sweeping down the plane yeah i i I love it i always this is when musicals were really became athletic in its dancing now that i remember and then that terrible johnny depp the lone ranger i i just dislike this film yeah but i saw it once and then never watched it again but i'll probably watch it it's so yeah, it's um very interesting. Interesting to put on, considering Army Hammer is not the uh, most popular person out there right now. So yeah, uh, they probably planned this before then. Although they could have pulled it, I suppose. Yeah, it's. I feel like a lot of the world would have been happier if they would not have decided to add this to Disney Plus. But hey, well, it I'm just sure it'll shows make someone happy. Disney's inconsistency. So um, yeah. Anyway. Um, but Star Wars. Wow, this is a Star Wars bonanza. They're having two Ewok films, The Caravan of Courage and The Battle for Endor. I don't know if I saw either of these. Then the Clone Wars series. I guess there's two versions of those uh, or volumes or whatever. There's the Ewok series mm-hmm. and then the story of the faithful Wookiee. Yep, part of that. The- I think was from the holiday classic yep it was from starring b arthur (laughs) from the holiday special so this is uh this is really huge um for the ewok movies caravan of courage and the battle for endor uh, these have not been released in years and years like i have the two-pack dvd that they released sometime in the early 2000s and as soon as that went out of print it did not come it did not come back and i mean it's it hasn't been streaming anywhere for years and years and years i don't know if it's ever been technically a movie that you can stream but i i in my in my cherished collection of the dvds and such that i take care of more than anything else i i have these two in there and i'm happy now that i can i can safely store away the dvd knowing that i'll be able to stream it but uh they're both they're both really really entertaining um i if you haven't seen them before or haven't watched them in a long time i'm looking forward to them yeah kylie and i just watched them uh over the summer for the first time and they are they are crazy i will just say that they are they are playing nuts and uh wilford brimley's in the the sequel 
so you know it's always going to be a party when he shows up. Um, oh, his grape nets, yeah. <laughs> it's it's fantastic. And uh for the Clone Wars, I am I'm super excited about this because this is the um this is the cartoon version, the hand-drawn animated one that I I haven't seen it since it aired on Cartoon Network way back in the day before they they rebooted the Clone Wars with the the new style animation that they they used ever since. So I, from what I remember from watching this all the way back in the day, it's it is better than even the Clone Wars series that that eventually came around. But you know that could just be time playing playing games with me. But uh, just just going off of it further because you brought up Star Wars, so now you have to deal with it. But uh, the Ewoks, I'm excited. No, I like Star Wars. So yeah. I <laughs> I haven't seen the Ewoks cartoons ever. I've watched. I have seen like one episode on YouTube, but I've never seen like the full series. So I am I am so excited to get to watch these. I Kylie owns. Uh, I bought her a shirt of the Ewoks uh, cartoon series, but uh, I have, I've never seen it. So I'm very excited for that. And, and with the, with the faithful Wookiee from the star Wars holiday special, I think it's, it's a good step. And hopefully one day the world getting to see a good, a good version of the holiday special, better than the, the taped versions that are on YouTube, but the animation portion of it, it actually is probably the best part of the entire special. So if we can only get a portion, like it, it's probably the one that you actually do want to see. So I think <laughs> they made a good call with it. So the only thing else we're missing that, I mean, not missing from what you've said, but uh, in terms of star Wars and this entire list, uh, there is also a droids TV show that was done by, I believe the same company that made star Wars Ewoks and, uh, and that will still need to get released one day. So, but I'm keeping my fingers crossed for that okay. because I never thought I would see Ewoks or any part of the holiday special on Disney plus. And well, here we are. I thought I read somewhere. They were ultimately going to release the holiday special. I think when, when George Lucas dies, it will be out there. (laughs) I I think it will, unless he's got a part of his will saying, nope, never going to happen. Um, once he dies, I think Disney will say, yeah, we're putting it out there and we're going to charge a lot for it. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, but maybe it'll be a premiere. (laughs) <laughs> Disney Plus premiere. You have to pay thirty bucks to see it. Yeah. So now, would, now was Clone Wars the one you said I should watch before watching Rebels? I remember once yeah. I asked well, you which yeah, one, the, which series should I watch. The I I think you should watch Clone Wars, not this version that's about to come out. I mean, you can watch that one too, but you really need to watch um, the the seven seasons of the Clone Wars that. Uh, just wrapped up this past year and is about to be spun off into the Bad Batch as well too. So that's the version you need. But this is that one on Disney Plus, it it all <laughs> is on Disney Plus. Oh, okay. It's very time consuming. It's uh, seven seasons of uh, a lot, a lot of seasons packed with twenty plus episodes. So you will, okay, you will have your work cut out for you going through all well, of them. Once I get through the Muppets show, maybe that'll be my next thing that I. Like I watch when I'm cooking or something like that. Yeah, I, a lot of it is honestly perfect for that. I know I'm probably going to offend a lot of Clone Wars people out there that love that show, but it's honestly I I am still struggling to get through it all for the first time, and I feel like it's one in every four or five episodes actually 
keeps me invested in it. But I want to watch it because I know there's details that connects it to the greater Star Wars universe that will help help pay off in other aspects, whether it's in mm-hmm. video games or books or potentially even movies. Yeah, good, good. Well, I'll look forward to it. Yeah. Well, so a lot of lot of good stuff coming in April. Yeah, and uh, you missed. I, I'm just going to go over a couple mm-hmm. more that you didn't have on there, but that I I got excited about. Uh, White Fang Two, Myth of the White Wolf is going to be I, added. I, I saw White Fang. I never saw White Fang Two, so that's good. Yeah, I I, I enjoyed it. I haven't watched mm-hmm. it since I was a kid again, but I I liked both of those movies a lot. Um, one of my favorite movies growing up, Man of the House with. Chevy Chase and Jonathan Taylor Thomas is yes, being Yes, I saw that. <laughs> and I have a feeling that's going to be one where it cannot hold up to what my uh, what my feelings were of it when I was a kid. <laughs> but uh, I did I did really really like that movie growing up. So I'm I'm happy to get a chance to uh, to see it again as as an adult now and see if see if my mind changed on it. But yeah, those were the those were the other two that. That popped out to me. Uh, it's a big part of this exciting, exciting month of April. And that doesn't include that most of the Mighty Ducks movies, uh, not movies, most of the Mighty Ducks TV show is being released in April. And it's the start of the John Stamos show as well, The where he's coaching the uh, girls, girls basketball. I mean, yeah. It's a, it's a big month. Big month for it Disney+. It is. Plus. It is. And Falcon in the Winter Soldier. <laughs> And then one more. Sorry, I forgot this one, too. Uh, mm-hmm. Adventures in Wonderland, the TV series that was on yes. Disney Channel uh, back in the, the early to mid-90s, somewhere in there, that terrified me as a kid. But <laughs> that's coming, too. I, I know a lot of folks have been wanting those early Disney Channel series for children, like Dumbo's Circus mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the Winnie the Pooh on Pooh's Corner. Yeah. yeah I think no, that was one. There's a lot. Yeah. I feel like... I feel like, yeah, I think you already mentioned it at one point now, but it feels like Disney is really starting to say, hey, Disney Plus is kind of big. We should start reinvesting in it. (laughs) So (laughs) uh, besides original content, really dipping into the library here. And we're still, as we said, we're still getting original content, too. Uh, After Falcon and the Winter Snowman is over, we're going to get the making of that with as part of the Assembled series. So that's going to continue. Because the WandaVision one's fun. Only an hour long, but still fun. So Yeah, I have to watch that still. Oh, Disney Plus. Disney Plus. <laughs> anyway, well, I used a few references when putting this episode together for books. The fairest one of all, The Making of Walt Disney Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs by J.B. Kaufman. Walt Disney Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, an art in its making by Martin Krauss and Linda Witkowski. Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, The Art and Creation of Walt Disney's Classic Animated Film, again by J.B. Kaufman. And The Disney Princess, A Celebration of Art and Creativity by Charles Solomon. Some articles and websites I used. Disney's Folly, The Making of Snow White by Brittany Bell. And Snow White and Seven Dwarfs on the Disney Wiki. So, Craig, until next time, how can our listeners connect with you? You can find me on all of the random shows I'm on on the Dis Unplugged Podcast Network and always on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Teleclaster, and email me, craig at wdwinfo.com. What about you, Michael? 
You can send me messages at Michael at WDWinfo.com. Twitter, I'm at mbowling121. Facebook, MichaelBowling dash connecting with Walt. Instagram, I'm MichaelBowlingTheDiz. And you can connect with both me and Craig on Twitter at ConnectingWalt. If you would like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studio, his Imagineers, and Disneyland, check out our Disneyland podcast archives for our Disney history episodes on the link Craig includes in our show notes or at DisneyUnplugged.com. And look for past episodes of Connecting with Walt on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Pandora, and Amazon Podcasts, where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings when possible. So thank you for making us a part of your day. And remember, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing. That was all started by a man, Walt Disney, and his brother Roy. Roy.